Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everyone. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you here. Very pleased to be introducing our guest, Charles Semba, Dr. Charles Semba. Uh, Dr. Semba is actually an interventional vascular surgeon, and uh, he's world-renowned in that field until he decided to to take a sabbatical and work at Genentech, where he became introduced and and enamored with the product that eventually became Lucentis. Uh, He helped lead the clinical development program for Lucentis, deciding to uh, to leave his his practice. And from there, of course, he went on to, uh, to Sarcode, where he uh, guided the, uh, the drug that eventually became Zydra and is now sold as, as Zydra by Shire. Worked at Shire for a time. From Shire, went to Foresight Vision 5, and now is the chief medical officer at Graybug. So uh, Charles is a, is a fascinating guy. He's, he's accomplished a great deal in ophthalmology in a short time. And I had the chance to sit down with him at OIS at ASRS and talk about that transition from, from being a, a, an endovascular surgeon, a real specialist, a real, uh, a real accomplished surgeon in his field, to, uh, to make the leap into a completely different specialty. And uh, Charles is very thoughtful on the subject. Uh, what, was, what were his concerns? What almost kept him from not, uh, not making the leap? And finally, what uh, what is one regret that he has uh, overall in his in his medical career? So, he's a, a very nice man. Very happy to uh, have had the chance to to meet with him, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, this is Tom Salemi. We're here at OIS at ASRS. Thank you for joining me, Charles Semba, medical, Chief Medical Officer of Graybug. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, we've talked before on the podcast about your work with, uh, with SARCODE, and uh, we touched a little bit maybe on Foresight. I want to get into your work with innovation and innovative companies like Graybug, but I'm curious as to how you found your way into medicine and, and then into, into ophthalmology. Well, for, you know, in many aspects, uh, the last place I should be is in ophthalmology. Oh, don't say that. Come on. Um, We're happy to have you here. Started my career as a vascular interventional radiologist at Stanford University. So I spent my days doing complex uh, thoracic aortic aneurysm repair and uh, many endovascular procedures. And I had an opportunity to do my academic sabbatical at Genentech. Ah. And at Genentech uh, is where uh, someone tapped me on the shoulder to take a look at a project in age-related macular degeneration. I didn't even know what the disease was, <laughs> I was let alone... That, uh, <laughs> like, uh, sure, that sounds important. But the commonality, <laughs> the fascination was that as a vascular yeah. specialist, uh, this was a vascular-related disease, but it happened to be in the different organ system. Instead of the blood vessel uh, of the legs and arms and brain, uh, it was in the eye. It was so fascinating that I decided within a month at Genentech to quit my job at Stanford and take a closer look. And so it was, it was a calculated risk. Wow. Um, <laughs> How much calculation went into that risk? A lot. Yeah. Because, um, y- you know, uh, if it didn't work out, you know, th- that is probably the biggest driver of, uh, of paralysis for many physicians trying to make the decision of whether to leave their practice to come into industry. Sure is 
what if it doesn't work? Um, but I felt I was young enough in my career that uh, uh, if I had to get back on the horse and dust off and start all over, uh, so be it. But what, it's an interest. It's a, being a physician is so much different than working in a company toward a long-term goal like developing a drug. And a physician, you're in control. You make decisions. Joining a larger company, you're kind of handing control over to a team, which is how things get done. Was that was that part of the consideration? And, and how did you sort of well, did you have to move past that? Uh, to be honest, I mean, ignorant was bliss. <laughs> I, I really didn't know what I was getting into. Um, other than the fact that in my particular niche in medicine, I, you know, was essentially world-renowned for the types of surgical procedures I was doing. But there was a part of my brain that, that was really tired of doing that same uh, hundreds and hundreds of cases, uh, the same nature of mm-hmm. cases. And I just felt intellectually, just for me personally, it wasn't sustainable for the next 20, 20, 30 years of my career. That's great. So I was really hungry for a new opportunity, and I didn't know anything about biotechnology. And what I really liked about the fact that it was a lot of long-range planning, I kind of had an idea of what things would look like in six months, 12 months, 18 months, because you have these projects with these long-range goals. In clinical practice, because it's so chaotic and hectic, every day was Groundhog Day. (laughs) And so there really wasn't time to do a lot of forward thinking and planning, at least in our practice, uh, of how we were going to to expand and grow and defend turf and uh, all those other things. So so I I really actually enjoyed the organization, the long-term thinking process. So what was the transition like? Did did you enjoy that process? (laughs) Well... Again, I was used to an environment where I'd walk into the procedure room and start barking out orders and people would scurry around. And I'd come to Genentech and people just looked at me and said, who, who are you? You know, you're just a, a small cog in, yeah. in the greater piece. That was very immediately humbling. But I really embraced the concept that I didn't have to be the expert in all things. I could really leverage a lot of smart people around me. Whereas in academic practice, every man for himself... Um, you're fighting for every square inch of office space and, and things like that. Whereas in industry, you have resources and, and a breadth of expertise to help you out. That's fascinating. So obviously that, that, that project worked out okay for you. How did you yeah, move so, from Genentech to... Uh... So the fascination with Genentech was the fact that I was able to get in the early stages of the development of ranibizumab for Lucentis uh, and, and Lucentis uh, development. And what I didn't appreciate at the time was just how uh, the unmet need in the space was and how revolutionary the, the therapy was, mm-hmm. how uh, we were able to impact hundreds of thousands of people around the world. Wow. I mean, that was fascinating. And a lot that, of parallels from what I was doing, a lot of angiograms, cross-sectional imaging, uh, image-based decision-making, the same type of mentality that goes into being a skilled interventionalist in, in my prior area of medicine. So there was a lot of similarities. Interesting. And you do hear that from physicians who say they, they join industry so they can help more people. They can, they, can, they can impact thousands instead of hundreds. Do you get that same sense of satisfaction knowing you created such, a, such an important uh, therapeutic? Well, you know, I, you know, being in Silicon Valley, uh, kind of the, what's in the drinking water is just this desire to change paradigms. Mm-hmm. And I was just thrilled for the fact that we were able to uh, to turn um, uh, a disease area that really didn't have any successful therapies and to really revolutionize there. Not an incremental gain, but dramatically 
uh, rewrite the textbooks in medicine. Uh, and that's intoxicating. And I just simply wanted more of that and to, to be able to embrace the horsepower of having a lot of smart people around me uh, to help me out. Right. So you went on to tackle another area that needed therapy. So uh, after successes at Genentech, I thought that would be pretty tough to, to top. But then I had uh, an opportunity to tackle another thorny development issue, and that was dry eye. Mm-hmm. Many sponsors had tried to develop therapies, and, and perhaps a, a dozen or more companies had failed. And I was really fascinated by the challenge. You know, why was it so difficult to develop a product for dry eye? And I think, again, ignorance was bliss. I didn't come into the field with any preconceived biases of how the cornea should behave because I, I wasn't trained in cornea. Yeah, no, 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 no vessels for you <laughs> yeah, to kind of uh, cling on to. And, and so just with a lot of thinking and with a lot of uh, evaluation of prior art, prior work in the field, how can we be smarter more clever. What can we do that other people haven't done before to try to accomplish uh, this goal? And we were ultimately successful in the development of lafitagrass uh, for for dry eye. And again, that, that was a huge paradigm changer um, in terms of uh, finding the drug development path forward. Now, I think it's opened the doorway for many other companies now that are coming into the field. So, Absolutely. So, Hopefully that was a significant contribution. And then you found your way over to, to Foresight, that great group. So uh, in trying to fulfill a repertoire in ophthalmology, you know, I had tackled uh, neovascular AMD, uh, ocular surface disease. The, the missing piece for me personally was glaucoma, uh, kind of the three big pillars uh, in, in drug development in the eye. And so a Foresight uh, afforded the opportunity to really evaluate glaucoma, sustained drug delivery uh, in reducing IOP and improving compliance for patients. Mm-hmm. And so that really was the fascination, and they had really, really interesting technology. So AMD, dry eye, glaucoma, you're, you're, you're kind of checking these things off the list. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just, you know, try to be uh, the, the continuing process of continue to learn, exactly. So do you still think... As a doctor, when you do all these approaches, is your MD still an integral part of what your daily of your day, or have you shifted over to entrepreneurs? No, CMO? I mean at at the end of the day, what I'm really really interested, it really comes down to some simple context uh, uh, concepts on what we can we do to make things better for the patient and things easy for the doctor. Mm-hmm. I really think in really simplistic terms, how can we make treating these diseases easier for everyone involved in in the whole uh, care process. Um, And, uh, you know, as long as you don't uh, forget about the patient, you know, things will work themselves out, you know, and and so that's that's just my approach and how I think about things. Is that how you see the role of a CMO? And and how do you describe it to someone who you you might meet? Is it it to bring that kind of real-world experience and perspective (laughs) to, you know, something that's really different drug discovery well it's a it's a fascinating uh, area for a professional to grow in because it's it's going to be a a new role that's that's a little bit different from practice but i think to really master the task you really have to uh, be able to appreciate all things that go into uh, developing an innovative product you have to think about the intellectual property. You have to think about who's going to pay for it. You got to think about how easy is it to uh, to administer to the patient. Mm-hmm. How acceptable will it be to the patient? 
will investors be able to get a return on their investment? And so you have to be able to balance all of these things. You know, what is the regulatory pathway? Can you dis- devise a feasible clinical trial with a, an acceptable endpoint? And so I think uh, really successful people in the role uh, have to be able to take all of this information and distill it into a cogent, unifying program that gets all the team members on board and, and you're m- working in a straight line. That's quite a, that's quite a soup you've created there. There's a lot of ingredients in that. Yeah, it, it, it's fun <laughs> and insane and exasperating and uh, things never go as planned. Um, and so, uh, again, uh, always being able to have backup plans. If this doesn't work, what are you going to do? Uh, and so it's a, the consummate chess game. And, and now we'll, we'll, you're moving into drug delivery with, with Graybug. Can you bring us up to date on, on where the yes. company is at? So one of the, uh, one of the unfulfilled uh, things in, in my personal career was the fact that when we developed Lucentis, uh, just because of the kinetics of the drug, we had to administer monthly injections for two years in these trials. These two years trials in these patients had to undergo monthly intravitreal injections. We didn't know how this was really going to pan out in the real world. Um, clinical trials do not represent clinical reality or real-world medicine. And the problem th- that this therapy, uh, even though it's, it's so successful, these injectables, we're saddled with the situation for these uh, poor patients that they have to come in so frequently uh, uh, for injections and maintenance, and it's very disruptive for, for not only for the patients but all, also for their loved ones who had to drive the... the your mother or grandmother to the clinic, uh, you know, every four to seven weeks, let's say, for the rest of their life, that I thought, you know, there's got to be a way to do this better. Mm -hmm. Can, uh, you know, can my next move uh, help bring a new therapy in which maybe we could do this once a year, twice a year? That'd be amazing. Uh, and so this is kind of, for me, a personal, unfulfilled mission. Can, can we bring something new to the table that will make it easier for the doctors and patients? And, and is the role much different than it is in a, in a company where you're developing a drug, or is it a very similar experience? Well, every, every CMO role is different. Yeah. Every, yeah. every company has its set of challenges. Um, and this one is made a little easier in the sense that the clinical regulatory path has been well established with the FDA, so there are no questions on what's in a, going to be an acceptable endpoint. In many areas of drug development, you don't know that because you're cutting a new path. You've got to negotiate what the trial designs look like. At this stage in retinal, AMD, intravitreal injections, the path is pretty well identified. The structure of trials is pretty well understood. We just now have to be able to manufacture and execute the, the trials. Right. Yeah. So now you, 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 has this worked out? You don't think you have to go back into, into practice and practice medicine again? Well, uh, <laughs> I question whether I'm going to recertify my interventional radiology uh, boards. Uh, I'm having so much fun in ophthalmology. Perhaps one career regret is, uh, you know, I didn't pursue a career in ophthalmology. I, I wonder how, how much better in this role I could have could be uh, if I was a fully fledged board certified ophthalmologist, but uh, was that ever considered, or is just a, never, really, never? I uh, I envision myself uh, as a uh, endovascular surgeon, and um, and and again, the fascination there was the miniaturization of technology mm-hmm. from you know open surgical techniques now to miniaturization with catheters and image guided therapy. 
And again, there's just a lot of parallels in ophthalmology with the miniaturization of tools and drug delivery and things of that nature. <laughs> My only regret is I wish I could actually do it, you know, do the intravitreal injections and, and some of these other procedures. But, well, we're all, all happy you found a way to carve a niche into, into yeah. the sector. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And that is a wrap. Charles Semba of Graybug, thank you for joining me at OIS at ASRS. Prior to the interview, he, uh, he joked that he was uh, not going to make for an interesting interview, and uh, that was absolutely false, and I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you did as well. Thank you, OIS podcast listeners, for joining us. If you uh, wouldn't mind giving us a, a ranking on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, that would be greatly appreciated. Also, feel free to shoot me an email, tom at healthag.com. It's the word health followed by the letters egy.com. Healthogy is the great company producing OIS and the OIS podcast. Finally, feel free to tell your friends and uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at MedTechTom. I tweet all day long about uh, many different things in ophthalmology and medtech, so I hope to, uh, to see you on Twitter. Finally, we are coming up on OIS at AAO. It's happening in November in New Orleans, and you should be there. We will uh, be having a panel, actually, talking about the, uh, the emergence of the CMO in ophthalmology. And uh, this conversation with Charles Sember perhaps you know, sheds a little light on some of, the, uh, some of the questions that these folks face when they're making that, uh, that decision to work for a corporation. And not all are doing full time, but it's a it's a fascinating uh, development, and it's one we'll explore further. Again, it's going to be November 9th in New Orleans. If you haven't registered yet? Please go to ois.net, sign up, so we can see you in New Orleans. <laughs>